I think another myth too is that we do have to completely punt all of our good teaching practices, Mm -hmm. right? Like Mm -hmm. we do a lot of fantastic things already in the classroom and all of those are are still relevant in a project-based classroom, right? We still need good formative assessment practices, right? Which Mm -hmm. formative assessment is just student feedback, you know? So we're just we're just rethinking about how how we want to give our students feedback and and the purpose of assessment you know but we already do a lot of great things you know whether it's an exit ticket walking around listening in right and and giving verbal feedback those are still types of form of assessment that you can you can utilize i think that's one thing that teachers think about and they're like how do i how do i assess all of this i'm like well the ways that you've always assessed things rti MTSS, PCI, REO, PBIS, PLC, CTE, SEL. Listen to that acronym, bingo. We are chock full of acronyms, which when something gets into the acronym status, it reaches into buzzword. This has lost all its meaning status. An unfortunate part of education is that the more widely spread a concept gets, the more watered down and misunderstood it gets. What begins as an impactful practice gets poorly put into practice as packets and posters and pretty packaging with no substance. Today we get to dive into one of these, a practice that has, in my experience in thousands of educators, had a huge positive influence on student learning, but one that is too often misunderstood and misapplied project-based learning. How do educators get at the root of the promise and practice of true PBL? How do school leaders better support it? And how the heck do we get away from the friggin' poster board presentations? Let's put the glue gun and poster boards down for a moment, my friends. Pick up your beverage of choice and join us on another installment of Educator Happy Hour. Educator Happy Hour is brought to you by TYS Speakers. Are you looking to inspire your students or staff to not only motivate their thinking, but their actions in school and beyond? Then check out TYS Speakers. TYS Speakers is a group of carefully vetted speakers and professional development leaders whose messages are engaging, evidence-based, and life-changing. Browse the speakers and watch preview videos at tysspeakers.com. What's up? Happy hour, hodgepodge. Hope y'all are doing well as we launch into this next year. I'm recording this right after Labor Day. Hopefully you had a great day off. I'm also hoping that the switch to the bi-weekly launch of these episodes isn't cramping your style too much, but it is really helping me with the work-life balance. We've got some exciting changes coming your way in Educator Happy Hour. On the personal front, I have been busy with the Back to School launches keynotes, workshops, professional development to help support educators going into this next school year. I am, after recording and posting this, going to be heading out to New York, to Chictawaga Sloan, to support not only their staff, but their students as well. And then I'm going to get a little bit of a break before diving back into teaching and continued professional development work. And before we get into this week's episode, we have to do what we do these days and give you a statements update. In our last episode with Michelle Emerson, we posed a few statements and then I post those to Instagram to give you a chance to have your say. And here's what we have. Our first question, which seat is best on an airplane? This will shock no one that 0% of the people willingly choose the middle seat. 42% chose the aisle and 58% choose the window. So a majority of you like that window space. I am very much an aisle person. As I mentioned in our last episode, I just have to pee all the time. And I feel so awkward making people move. So to have that little opportunity of freedom to, you know, take care of my bladder is really important to me. Our next statement was society is getting less and less resilient. strongly agree, 48% agree, 19% disagree, and 1% strongly disagree. Large majority of people feel like society is getting less and less resilient. Now, interestingly, I'd be curious to know how much of us are framing this around how our students might be resilient or not, how grown adults might be or not. I think it's one of those modes of we've been through a lot and people have demonstrated a lot of resilience, but also we get focused on some of those stories, some of those moments where people seem to give up and just bail way too easily. And our final statement got a little janky with the formatting on the post. It's better to try and fail than to accept you don't have any control. 23% 
strongly agree that it's better to try and fail. 32% agree, 38% disagree, and 7% strongly disagree. Is it better to give it a go? Or is it better to just say, you know what, like, I don't have control over this, I'm going to move on. Which one allows us to be more resilient? The effort and the learning from the failure or the boundaries and the acceptance that, you know what, I'm going to put my energy into something else. Quite a split bag there. Be curious to dive into that. That sounds like a great prompt for an essay for us to either write ourselves or have AI do it instead. Thus concludes your statements update. If you follow me on Instagram at Chase Milky, be on the lookout. I will be posting this next round of statements shortly after we post up this episode. So have your say and engage with us. But now we dive into the theme and topic of this week. Curriculum is fascinating to me. Curriculum also seems to be in a chaotic hot mess sometimes in a lot of schools. There are so many different curricular choices. There's so much that is pre-built. Very infrequently are educators building from scratch. If they are, sometimes it's a chaotic mess as well. Not only that, but we have AI that we're competing with. As we design our curriculum and dive in, what are the actual skills students are going to need? And how do we teach those skills in an era where students Students can have artificial intelligence do a lot of the work. There are so many ways we could get overwhelmed with trying to figure this all out. But one area that could be a major solution or at least a major boost is project-based learning. You no doubt have heard it. You've probably used it. Maybe your curriculum embodies it. And it is that buzzword status that sometimes gets a little watered down of what exactly do we mean by it? Is it just creating a poster presentation? Is it a lot more work than traditional? curriculum? And most of all, is it effective in helping students find relevance and connection with their curriculum? Well, I have some opinions, but rather than me just introducing my opinions, I want to provide a master who has done a deep dive into not only teaching and presenting project-based learning, but helping lead whole school reforms and efforts in professional development around it. Drew Hershon. Drew is a principal at PSAS Fulton Heights in Pueblo, Colorado, and he's been in education for 16 years. He loves engaging students and educators in innovative classroom practices, which are more connected to the real world and creating deeper learning of content and success skills, where people can see, students can see the why in which they are learning concepts and skills. As an educational background in exercise science, culturally and linguistically diverse education, leadership, career and technical education, science, technology, engineering, and mathematics, He's also certified in Project Lead the Way, Biomedical Science, CTE, STEM, and a T3G certification in GIS. The, how about that for some acronyms, which is Geographic Information Systems. He and his staff have successfully grown Pueblos' own PSAS Fulton Heights into the first K-8 maker project-based school. It's time to welcome Drew Hershon to Educator Happy Hour. Drew, welcome to Educator Happy Hour, man. I'm so glad that we're able to carve out some time in our respective schedules to be nerdy together. Um, I'm going to lead things off with when I first connected with you, what caught my eye was your bow tie. And I believe I approached you and said, nice bow tie, because I feel like bow ties are like those things like people who have Harleys or Jeeps, when they see someone else with a Harley or a Jeep, they're like, ooh, instant affinity with that human being. So my lead question is, and this has nothing to do with education, how long long did it take you to learn to tie a bow tie? I'm going to be, I'm going to be honest, Chase. Uh, I don't tie a bow tie. What? You got the clip-ons? The, uh... <laughs> don't mess around. I don't have time for all that, man. <laughs> well, that was my thought is like, it takes a ton of time. I remember the first time, like I tried to learn how to tie a bow tie. I'm not kidding you. It probably took me like 45 minutes of looking in a mirror and then just like getting unusually frustrated and throwing it on the ground. Like it's really freaking hard to tie a bow tie, but real. now cat's out of the bag. Now we know that you are. Are, you are work smarter, not harder in your bow tie. 100%. <laughs> I love it. Um, our real question that we ask everyone on this podcast is when you're having a stressful or challenging or just even overwhelming day, what is your drink or your decompressor of choice? True. So in the moment, so if it's something in the moment, um, I'm, I do love to just like take a moment, breathe, stand mm. up. Um, in my office, I, I do happen to have a little arcade in there. So <laughs> play a little bit. <laughs> uh, awesome. Sometimes I don't have that opportunity because I'm so busy, as <laughs> I think all of us are. But like, yeah. that is that is something that is is cool. Um, I also have this little uh, squishy pig that I have. All right. All right. <laughs> you know, 
just kind of squeeze that guy, and uh, that's nice. But as far as my drink of choice, when when yeah. the day closes, it's got to be an old fashioned. With oh, uh, yeah, that seems yeah. to fit with the uh, the bow tie vibe. Like, just I'm picturing you like bow tie out. Feet stretched out, having the old fashioned, love it. Uh, we're going to be picking your brain around kind of this bigger picture of curriculum and making curriculum relevant. And um, you do a lot of work with project-based learning and, and you've been doing that work for quite a while, both in practice within your own teaching experience, as well as being able to spread and share those ideas with people beyond your district and all over the place. And so um, just to kind of give listeners a, a viewpoint of, of your world, give us like the annotated journey of your world into not only the role you're currently in, uh, but your passion for making curriculum relevant and meaningful to students. Mm. So it really started, I taught high school um, PE and I was supporting math as well, a math interventionist. Hmm. Hmm. And, um, you know, I was given a, a class with um, kiddos who already did not like math. It was their second <laughs> what? math. Yeah, right? Like they, they're not good at math. And then you're going to give them another math class. And, oh, by the way, uh, Drew, we really don't have any resource for you. So you got to kind of just figure this out. So the, you know, there, there are some... It's there are some tough days you can imagine, right? Yes. Um, so many listeners right now are like, yep, I've been there before. That, that does seem to be like the MO for a lot of those sorts of classes. <laughs> so I, I, that was really where I found project-based learning. I didn't know I was doing mm. project-based learning. Um, and mm. I definitely, w I wasn't doing it at, at a high quality level. You know, I didn't really know yeah. much about it. I just knew I had to do something different. I had to make it more relevant. I had to make it fun. Um, yeah. So I started taking them out to the field. Um, we are kicking balls, timing it, like doing more, really more physics. Mm, than math, yeah. Yeah. Connected. Right. Um, my, my, then I had an opportunity, we received a STEM grant and then I had the opportunity to, um, take on a STEM coordinator role. Uh, mm. and that would really open my eyes to some other opportunities. One, I was trained in, in PLTW biomedical science during that time, but then I also, mm found the Buck Institute for Education. Uh, Christy Lanthrop, shout out to her. She was our mm. facilitator uh, from, from uh, the Buck Institute who did our project-based learning training. And I worked with her for um, three years, you know, and mm. I, I was drawn to it right away, you know, and I was like, man, this is, this is how, this is how kids need to learn, you know, this, yeah. <laughs> this is the way to yeah. go. And I remember my first time I was like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to integrate, I'm going to, integrate all these projects with our science department, our ELA department. <laughs> and uh, I'll be the mediator. I'll go into PLCs. And, and I remember our first project was like, they're reading like the pit and the pendulum or something like that. And then yeah. they're building pendulums in, in science class. Again, not really good projects yet. Right. But <laughs> right, <yeah. laughs> I'm, we're doing this. Guys. this is gonna be fun for yeah. And I'm like, I feel like I had this great plan. You know, I'm, I'm going to their science PLC, uh, uh, ELA PLC and we're like, all right, we got the calendar lined up and little did I know, Chase, I, uh, <laughs> they sometimes in class, right. The calendars don't align because <laughs> it, it just didn't work. Right. Like the yeah. lesson, one of the ELA teachers lessons had to go longer. And so yeah. at one point, like people were upset and, <laughs> and crying. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I, I messed this up. You know, but, I, I imagine that's tricky because like that sounds like it's not only project based learning, but it's also some intercurriculum, interdisciplinary connections as well. And like that, that's a lot going on at once and a lot of, I'm sure, learning curve for the people that you're working with and your colleagues and students even. But you know what? That was those are the best moments, though, right? Like if you're going to if you're going to shift pedagogy and you're going to do something innovative, you know, it's best for kids. Like those are the moments where you truly grow as an educator. And, you know, although we were yeah. upset and like it didn't work out, like moving forward, you know, year two, it was better. We knew that yeah. what yeah. we couldn't, it, what we could take on, what we couldn't take on. And, and, um, and was that project truly authentic, right? Was it something right. that students really wanted to do? Looking back at that now, like we thought it was project based <laughs> learning, but it wasn't, right? Like it, it wasn't authentic. They, they could care less if they're building a pendulum. What was yeah. it for? Right. Well, that that's an interesting point. I, I would love to, you know, pause and, and explore that side road a little bit around just like what exactly is project-based learning? Because I think it has reached a buzzword status or at least acronym status that uh, a lot of people 
don't really know, like, am I doing true project-based learning or do I have a project that is trying mm-hmm. to create some learning? Like, what's the difference between the two? What were some of the biggest ahas for you within this process of what really allows the curriculum to move into that realm of, of truly authentic and relevant? I think the first thing you got to think about when you think about designing something that's authentic is, will the students care, right? Will the students yeah. care about <laughs> what they're doing? I mean, really, yeah. start there. Um, yeah. Because if they don't care about it, like it, it's going to be something that's going to die in your classroom in the, okay, I'm doing this homework for Chase because this is, yeah. you know, I, I want to do, I like him. He's a nice guy, you know, yeah. or, or is this something that's going to go, that's going to go beyond the classroom and impact others. And yeah. so I really think that starting there, looking at, and the way I always try to, I, I frame it is, Look at your standards, the standards that you have to teach. We all have to teach standards, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And find a standard that you know is meaty, that's cross-cutting. Mm. And think about who in the real world uses that standard, you know? Mm. And, then, and then design a final product that students would see as uh, relevant to them or authentic to the real world, right? Mm. And, and, and then backward design it from there. And then start to look at, okay, now, now I got this this great um, idea, whether it's, you know, designing something um, using biomimicry to solve a problem in the world, right? Hmm. There's, there's my, there's my final product. Now, how am I going to launch this with my kids? How am I going to hook them? Yeah. How am I going to build some knowledge around this? But how am I also going to provide time for my students to, um, to inquire, right? Is there, hmm. is there some inquiry within are they going to be able to ask questions throughout? Are they going to be able to drive their inquiry through their own questions, through their own research? Um, mm. And I think the next most important thing, Chase, that, that really brings project-based learning to life is providing opportunity for students to reflect and mm. provide opportunities for students to um, get feedback, both from you know outside stakeholders that you might yeah. be producing yeah. the work for, yeah. and and their peers, right? Yeah. So I think those are the two areas that really make it unique. And, and again, project-based learning is the marriage between success skills and your content standards, right? Mm. And when I say success skills, we're talking collaboration, we're talking uh, communication, self-management, um, mm. those things, right? Yeah, yeah. There's the layer of... I think one of the challenges that often comes up within project-based learning is uh, the dilemma of time. I mean, you brought up how important it is for students to be able to reflect and to be able to get quality feedback and to be able to, you know, have a product or have some sort of performance task that um, can actually be looked at, reviewed by people who would be relevant towards. And I can see a lot of educators are like, yeah, that's great an idea, but like, curriculum feels so just go, 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 go. We have all of these standards to cover. Mm-hmm. You know, it's that whole, like we're going a mile wide, but only an inch deep. So what are some of your, your thoughts around or experiences around how to A, get teachers on board and B, support educators with creating that time and committing to that time that it might take to do a true project-based learning experience? One, I think as a leader, right? Being a principal, I, I was a principal um, at a school as well. Who was we? That was our that was our thing. Project based mm-hmm. learning mm-hmm. is giving teachers grace to be able to be creative, right? Mm-hmm. Like you got to be able to give them the opportunity to to at least do a project mm-hmm. and and allow them to be able to fail within that project. Yeah. <laughs> so a lot of, yeah. You know, it, t- you know they'll say that right? They'll be like, hey, you know. I want you to do project-based learning, but then, then they're like, hey, look, I just walked in your classroom. It looked like some, some chaos in there, <laughs> right? Like you can't, you can't say one thing and do another as a leader. Yeah. So from that lens, I think it's important that you have support, that you can do the work. As a teacher, I think when you're looking at it from a teacher lens and you're thinking about the time, um, mm. you also want to think about it's planning, right? Mm. But I, when I talked about you know, when you design an authentic project, you want to make sure that the standards, standard or standards that you design the project around are meaty mm. enough. So that way mm. it's, it's worth 
you have the bang for the buck, right? Like you're, you have all the things in there that, you know, would, would build a solid project. So like obviously argumentative, right? If I'm I'm an ELA teacher, right? Argumentative Mm -hmm. writing and speedy enough to build Mm -hmm. a project around because now you can bring in, you know, all those other supplemental standards within that. Um, So that's really, I think the key as far as on the teacher side, when you say, when you're committing to, um, something like that is make sure that when you're designing a project, you design one that has a standard that is meaty enough to spend the time with and that you could pull in mm. your supplemental standards too. Mm. You brought up something fascinating, which I think is A, the permission from not only administrators or school leadership to experiment and try this approach to learning out, but I think also for a lot of educators to give themselves permission of mm-hmm. so many educators that they care deeply about doing a phenomenal job. And a lot of times when we are paving the way with new curriculum or even just a new project, we can easily get frustrated because it can go horribly wrong. I mean, I remember many different projects that I've tried to attempt within my teaching experience that just failed miserably. I had the mindset of like, oh, this is going to be super fun. And then like it wasn't relevant for kids or it took more time and complexity or I wasn't sure how to assess it. But I also think sometimes it is like the belief that we have to go all or nothing. Like every piece of curriculum I have has to be highly relevant, highly engaging. And I obviously that's a good goal to strive for, but I think just getting that permission of like, for the next two weeks, I'm just going to try to tweak this project I've done before, or this lesson I've done before, the standard I've tried to teach before, and just add a little bit more pizzazz to it, or a little bit more relevance, or some performance task that is going to get them really in that inquiry mindset, or have some authentic feedback. That Mm. part is really, really important. And sadly, it feels like a lot of schools, especially coming off of COVID-19, they were so interested in getting back to normal and they were so focused with catching up from some of those potential academic losses or deficiencies that it was like everyone just scrapped the new innovation and it was just back to the old stuff. And those were the moments when I was like, it'd be great if we use this opportunity to, to really try things new because we're in a new phase of education that many of us haven't experienced before. I love that you lifted up the idea of, you know, really a dimmer switch, right? Like, Hey, I might, yeah. might only do it. For, you know, I'm, I'm going to try, try doing uh, feedback, right. Critique and revision. That's yeah. going to be something I'm embed in a project I've already done. Right. And, and just kind of slowly shifting your pedagogy toward one that is more project-based, right. Like pulling in mm. some of those teaching practices. I think that's a great suggestion, Chase. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because yeah, I, yeah it, it can be a lot, you know, it's yeah. a, it's a yeah. whole new way of doing <laughs> Yeah, doing business planning. Um, it's a shift in culture with your kids, right? Which is a good yeah. shift, but, but yeah. it, it can be a lot. So yeah, yeah. Because there, there, there are a lot of the like sub skills that go along with it, and that's why I I believe very strongly in this approach to curriculum. Is you have to shift your assessment practices, and you have to probably change how you do both your formative assessments and your summatives and your performance tasks. You have to shift your classroom management structure because a lot of it is relinquishing some of the control and putting it into students to to figure things out, and that takes some time and development and planning. Like there are all these other pieces that need to come into play, and so. So I think that's where if an educator wants to go big picture, like they want to go full out relevant curriculum, give yourself permission over the next month or so of just working on one of those sub skills of what's going to lead you to that point. Because otherwise, man, I've been there before where everything's falling apart and burning down in the middle of it. And I'm like, this was a terrible idea rather than looking and reflecting like, oh, maybe I dove into this way too fast, way too soon for sure. Um, Are there other like myths that when you work with with schools or where you work with your own staff and educators that you want to try to dispel what they might think a relevant project-based learning experience is compared to what maybe might not be on par what, what else gets in the way um i think like that's something that that it has to be like a a, a board <laughs> or mm. a, a <laughs> like i feel like every time we think of doing a project it's like you automatically go to, Hey, we got to create a poster or we got to create a presentation, right? Like it yeah. could be what we're doing right now. Yeah. It could be a podcast. Yeah. It could be, yeah. you know, an article. It could be an artifact, right? Design an mm. artifact. It could be, you know, I mean, there's so many different ways. So I think just thinking outside the box with, you know, what your, your final product is for kids. Um, I think another myth too is 
that we do have to completely punt all of our good teaching mm. practices, right? Mm-hmm. Like we do a lot of fantastic things already in the classroom and all of those are, are still relevant in a project-based mm-hmm. classroom, right? Like yeah. still need good, as you called it out, we still need good formative assessment practices, mm-hmm. right? Which formative assessment is just student feedback, you know? So we're just, <laughs> yeah. we're just kind of thinking, we're just rethinking about how, how we want to give our students feedback and, and the purpose of assessment, you know, but we already do a lot of great things, you know, whether it's an exit yeah. ticket, walking around, listening in, right. And, yeah. and, and, and giving verbal feedback. Those are still types of formative assessment that you can, you can utilize. I think that's one thing that teachers think about and they're like, how do I, how do I assess all of this? I'm like, well, yeah. Love the ways that you've always assessed things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Like that, all of those pieces are, are still going to be really important. And maybe, maybe one of them tweaks, or maybe, you know, you, you shift the ratio of how you use certain assessment practices compared to others. But um, sure. it really is some of those small tweaks. You know, thinking about that idea of like the, a lot of brains go towards like the product that they want to, like, so what, what is, what is the poster board? What is the yeah. presentation? Uh, one thing that I learned along my most successful projects that I ever did was, not get so caught up in what the product is, but get really intentional around like what is the the essential question we're going to be answering, or um, what is like the the one defining thing that we're trying to do. Like, and and for me, when I was doing it, a couple of my projects were intentionally vague. So with my communications class, I remember we d- were doing a whole unit on group problem solving, and I was like, this is not going to be something to like lecture about. Like, they have to get in groups and they have to have problems and they have to try to solve them. So I gave them like this one simple prompt of your goal over the next month is to make a positive impact in the community. And they're like, well, what does that look like? And I'm like, figure it out. And it was very much like a, you get in your groups and you start brainstorming and talking through and, and coming up with some ideas. And there, over time, I learned to really add in a lot of structure around that of like, mm-hmm. I'm going to teach them explicitly how to brainstorm. And I'm going to teach them explicitly how do you critique ideas. And so a lot of those traditional teaching practices came into play. But what I needed was just to loosen up what that end product could look like because mm-hmm. I had my vision of here's what it looks like. And once I open that up to my students get to control that final product, but I'm going to do a lot of influence on the process that they're getting there. Um, That was kind of a game changer for me to realize like, I don't have to have it figured out at the end. But if I use some of these solid teaching practices along the way, they're going to come up with better products than I ever could have within my mind. So um, sometimes it is just like a flexibility of one part of the teaching experience or the teaching cycle that we start to tweak and adapt to open it up to more inquiry or more relevance or more student control, I think it was really, really helpful along the way for me. I love that. Yeah, that that's that inquiry piece, right? And, and I think something else that teachers can think about when as they're, as they're building uh, a project is how do I honor student questions, you know, yeah. around yeah. our project. And I love that you're, you're providing space to honor student questions and then being able to give them voice and choice that their questions could possibly lead to a different yeah. product. That is, that <laughs> yeah. is super cool. Cause one yeah, thing there's, <laughs> there's one like thing. that discomfort idea of like, if you're going to let students ask questions, you got to be ready to not know the answers <laughs> as the teacher of like, yeah. they might ask me a question and I have no idea. And so like, I a have to be comfortable with that and B I have to like be okay. Letting them know visibly. I don't know what this is going to look like yet, but doing it in a way of like, that doesn't mean that this is going to fall apart. It means you all get more control and ownership over this. And I'm just going to mm-hmm. be the guide on the side rather than the stage on the stage for sure. Yep. And I think it, you know, going back to providing some structure, right? When you mm. when you develop that rubric and co-develop that rubric possibly with your students, mm. they know exactly what, you know, what that final product should have. You can have some voice and choice around what the what the visible product might be or even the direction that it goes, but here are the key things, the key learning, right, that you gotta be able to provide mm. that, that framework. So, mm. so space I want to dive into next is, you know, hot topic right now in, in society as well as education is around artificial intelligence and Chad GPT and how a lot of our traditional ways of assessing students and teaching a robot can do better <laughs> and students can tap into artificial intelligence. So what's your perspective on how does project-based learning or just even shifting to a more relevant or more inquiry-based curriculum how does that 
play into or is affected by artificial intelligence right now? I think it tees it up for authentic learning, to be honest, because I don't <laughs> yeah. know, I love I love it. ChatGPT is amazing for, yeah. for my yeah. work, even, you know, like yeah. I think about the power of it. Um, I can ask it to to help me write a letter of recommendation, right? Mm-hmm. I, can, I can ask it to help me write a lesson plan for a specific standard and Chase, it writes a pretty dang good. Right? right? No, I'm like, going to be very, I'll be upfront. There have been many times when I've been trying to come up with the intros for these podcasts from like, hey, chat GPT, write me an intro for a podcast about, and like, obviously it doesn't get it all the way there, but man, I'm right there with you. Like it does add a lot, of, a lot of freeing up time that we would spend otherwise on these things. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it, it should be leveraged as a tool, Right. Um, because mm. I, I think what a lot of our teachers are, are worried about is that, oh, well, they're just going to be able to cheat, right? They're going to be able to just mm-hmm. ask the question and write it. Well, mm. as an educator now, I got to go, well, I can't just ask you to write a three paragraph essay on Romeo and Juliet because, yeah. because chat GPT is going to be able to do that. There's no way, <laughs> right? Yeah. So, so yeah, I think leveraging chat GPT to, um, as more of a, a way for students to pull on strings, right? Like mm. maybe ask a question about, I'm just going to go on the, the theme of, of Romeo and Juliet. I, I don't know why. Yeah, but. Yeah. Let's roll with it. You know what? <laughs> Let's roll with it. <laughs> so just, you know, um, what is Romeo and Juliet really about, right? And then maybe there's there's something that that, that digs into that, the relationships they had, you know, the, the background mm. behind it. And then maybe a student can dig in further and ask, you know, deeper questions. But ultimately the paper, the, the, the end outcome that I produce as the student should be a, a body of work that I'm producing um, mm-hmm. around maybe the theme that we're trying to build surrounding that play, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what are the takeaways that I'm trying to get and extract from, from the learning of Romeo and Juliet? Not, not just the play itself, because if we just, if I'm just asked to write, you know, what is this, what's a summary of Romeo and Juliet? Chad GPT is yeah. going to be able to do that for me. But yeah. is there is there something deeper that I can connect to it that then I can then I can produce that might be a little more relevant to my life might be yeah. relevant to someone else's life in in the school um, and then and that becomes a letter right it could be a letter yeah. it could be you know an article it could be a podcast right like yeah yeah so, for sure so use that GPT as the the resource to improve my my knowledge base and for me to critically think. Yeah. I think a lot of times about how chat GBT, you know, there's, there's some fear and I think some, some very uh, logical fear around like, how is it really going to shift education? But in the interim, as we figure these things out, I think a lot of educators should open themselves up to this can actually help my students be more efficient with some of that lower level blooms of basic yeah. understanding so that we actually do have the time to get into the creation and the analyzing and the deeper thinking. And since project-based learning, a lot of people think like, oh, when do I have time to do that? I think this would be a great space to interweave those things of like, you know, a student can hop on and chat GBT and ask like, what are some of the most uh, troubling modern conflicts right now in history? And so now it pumps out a whole bunch of information that then they can create a play, act one play, Romeo and Juliet style around a modern conflict, or they can put together a video summarizing the connections between that and Romeo and Juliet. So they got real efficient in that initial stage so that they actually have the time and capacity to do the deeper level thinking. Um, it's just a space, again, where educators, I don't think need to throw away their entire teaching strategy, but like, hey, maybe I've got a week with Romeo and Juliet that I want to try something different. I'm just going to sample with this where they have an authentic task. We're going to use some artificial intelligence. Um, But it really does seem like true project-based learning can help educators not have to give up their teaching to a robot where it allows them more insight on how their students' process is working and allows them to still have a relevant task and allows them to see where student thinking is um, without the fear of the robots are taking over teaching. For sure. And I think providing space for students to capture that, right? Like if I'm, if I'm using, you know, design thinking, for example, in my classroom as a, as a way to support critical thinking in my classroom, Mm. when a student is brainstorming a paper, for example, they can list, hey, these are the, the threads that I that I <laughs> right. through ChatGPT to get to my 
you know, my three different solutions that I'm thinking about right now, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, and so you're actually, you're actually seeing their critical thinking uh, take place and it's visual, mm-hmm. right? That, mm-hmm. that visual thinking and you're able to see those things. So Love yeah, I, I think it's going to be such a powerful tool in the future if we learn how to use it properly, right? That's- <laughs> if, it, if it doesn't take over and just completely end humanity, then we'll be okay. I think we'll be okay. As long as we, as long as we, the robots are on our side and they like us, I think everything's going to be cool. Uh, okay. So here, here's kind of my last question around this as we start to look towards, you know, we've, we've touched on some of the elements of, of effective project-based learning and now back into kind of the practical approach. Let's imagine that you're sitting with an early career teacher who just got handed some old school sit and get curriculum. Mm -hmm. What do you say to them? Where do they begin? What are kind of the coaching pieces that you might share to help them move towards more relevant curriculum? Ooh, man, that's a tough one. Mm. Well, first I'll tell them, don't use the, I'm just kidding. I would not tell (laughs) Burn it up, light it on fire. (laughs) No, I I would not do that. I would, if if I was going to support them to to design their first project, you know, so Mm. I'm thinking about if I'm the principal, um, we're a project-based learning school, you know, they're a brand new teacher, just got the curriculum in their hands. Um, I am, I'm probably going to, the expectation would not be for that teacher to completely, you know, be project based that first year. The goal mm-hmm. for that teacher would be to um, try one project within that first year. And mm-hmm. the other thing I would suggest too would be to um, provide that teacher with some some already created projects. PBL Works has some <laughs> mm-hmm. some great ones already already created that you can get in and tweak. You know, mm-hmm. so. Uh, the next thing I would ask that that teacher would be, is there, you know, looking at your standards, let, let's just say they're looking, let's say they're looking at their ELA curriculum, right? And they're look, hmm. going through it. Or is, is there any standards you feel not as strong in teaching or that you're, hmm. you're not, like you don't teach, um, it's not as exciting for you, right? Yeah, and maybe yeah. You, you can build a project around that, that standard or those concepts that um, in there and maybe go to PBL work, see if there's a project that's already already built that you can kind of tweak and, and start with with that project. So mm. you feel like you're stronger in those other areas. You feel, you know, confident um, maybe embedding some, um, mm. some of those project-based teaching practices, such as, you know, building in a, a regular reflection, um, critique and revision in your classroom. But as far as, a, as, as far as facilitating a whole project this year, let's focus on this one, right? Yeah. And really narrow one down that they feel passionate about, that they feel like they can dig into. And then, again, going back to where we first started, right? Yeah. Giving them the, the grace to be able to, yeah. to, to facilitate it. And then yeah. I would meet with that teacher after, you know, after they have a chance to reflect and and let's look at how we can make it better. And then maybe we can start thinking about planning another one or, or, or changing that one for the, for the next year, you know? Yeah. So that would be, that would be my advice if I was supporting that teacher. And that is, is solid advice. Like a couple of things that you brought up that I was like, oh yeah, we haven't even really talked about that is number one, the idea that so many great projects and project-based learning processes already exist. Like, I think that's a spot where a lot of times educators feel like they have to start from scratch and that's mm-hmm. a hell of a lot of work to build something from scratch. But um, PBL Works among many, many other organizations, like have have a lot of them out there or even hap, hop on chat GPT and see if it can help you create a project for your students. But um, that I think is key is knowing that, you know, connecting with the people who do this work and the organizations that are behind this work, because a lot of that groundwork has already been there. And then you get to focus on some of those sub skills or those tweaks rather than doing it all from scratch. Um, that, that really resonated with me of like, yeah, we haven't really touched upon that yet for sure. Um, the other thing that you brought up that I think is fascinating is, is choosing those standards or those benchmarks you're trying to hit that you don't have excitement around because it's perfect of like, if it fails, I'm probably not going to feel worse than I do <laughs> teaching this the normal way. Like if I don't have excitement around it, like it, it, the stakes are so low that that's a space where you can experiment and possibly create something better than you even knew you could. I, I love, love that advice and that insight. Um, so we're going to be segueing into our final section of this podcast, and we're going to bring up a couple more of these topics along the way. 
But this section is what I call statements. So I'm going to give you three statements. And for each statement, you have four options. You can strongly agree with that statement, agree, disagree, or strongly disagree. And then we'll start to elaborate a little bit more and maybe make some connections back to what we've talked about. Um, I'm going to give you a heads up that your first statement has nothing to do with anything that we've talked about. Just picking your brain on a statement of West Coast is better than East Coast. Are you talking hip hop? I'm going to leave it open. What, where, wherever, wherever well, you're taking it, yeah, <laughs> you can go with it. <laughs> I'm gonna have to go for. I'll go two ways with this. I'll say okay. West Coast hip hop for sure. Um, okay. You know, Dre, Snoop. You know, we got to go that direction. But uh, I'll still stay with the West Coast um, when it comes to you know. I like the beach. I, mm. I like to surf. You know, like all, all that. That whole vibe is is me. Um, and then. But my dad is from the East Coast, so I'm a Red oh, Sox. Oh, okay. So, oh, so I got to kind of. I'm. St- <laughs> I would say it's still more West Coast, but baseball in the East Coast. How about that? All right. So, so you you agree, not strongly agree with with the West Coast. I will be curious because yeah. I always post these statements out on social media for people to respond to. Of like, do people's mindsets go to hip hop? Do it? Does it go towards food? Does it go to geography? <laughs> like, where where are they at? Um, yeah. Because initially, when I wrote this, like that was where my mind went immediately. It's like, well, I like Snoop Dogg way more. Um, yeah. Love yeah. It. Okay. Here's your your next statement. Schools will always struggle to prepare students for the future. Mm. I think right now, uh, disagree. I'm going to go with disagree. Mm. Tell us more. Because I feel like we're at a point, you know, we, we're, we're digging into it, right? We're at mm. a point in education where um, we have some resources that are going to help um, move us forward in making our, our learning more relevant. Um, mm. I also think that we're, we're starting to become much more connected to industry. Um, mm. I know like my district, for example, we are, and, and it's a part of what I do is we're really trying to connect our high school students, um, curricular resources to more industry work in our mm. career and technical education and providing uh. students with that relevant work to where, you know, by the time they leave as a senior, they already have, you know, experience in, in any field that they want to dig into, whether it's, whether it's law, whether it's biomedical science, whether it's engineering, you know, I think colleges are connecting more, more to, um, to high schools as well. Mm -hmm. I think that that's huge. Like we're starting to, to really bridge that gap of, um, providing more students opportunity to, to take college courses and not just like, you know, four-year institution stuff. Like I'm talking like trades and, you know, Mm. um, those types of things. So, um, I do, I see, I have hope for the future, man. It's, we're, we're in a good place, I think in education. And, um, and I I have hope that, you know, more leaders like myself are going to start to, to support Mm. teachers and um, toward a more innovative uh, teaching practice approach and um, allow for that to happen. And so, yeah, I'm going to go, I'm going to go with agree that we're going to be able to, uh, to, to get out. <laughs> that it's interesting as you're talking, I was, I was thinking through how it does feel like we're more interconnected and more, I don't want to say like forced, maybe the better words open to the idea that like schools can't do this alone. Like a, a K-12 institution probably isn't going to be able to on its own exactly help kids be prepared for a future that no one even knows at the speed that everything is changing, that it's almost like schools had to kind of throw their hands up and be like, we need help. Like we need, we need universities to work with us and we need our outside organizations and we need industries to come work with us. And in exchange, we're going to try to help prepare these students better. It was almost like we're open now to the idea that we don't have to have it all figured out, but the more we can start to shift some of those practices and, and allow that connection between all these institutions 
management institutions, like not only is it going to be good for education, it's going to kind of be a necessity <laughs> as we move forward. Um, so there, there is, I think a lot of people could find hope within that idea that we're heading in, in a direction of preparing them better than we ever have before for a future that we don't understand <laughs> as well as we may have in the past. Um, here is your last statement. It's the teacher's job to ensure kids are motivated to learn. Mm. I'm going to have to say strongly agree. <laughs> okay. All it right. is the teacher's job to motivate students to learn. As we've been talking, you know, it, it really, it's, it is our space, you know, as, mm. as an educator, we, we control, you know, what happens within that, in those four walls. And mm. so, you know, we have students who come into our space um, from all different backgrounds, all different challenges, and they're not going to just come in motivated to be there. You know, they're, it, they don't all have that same experience of school is fun, right? Yeah. And so it's, it's important for us as teachers to, to create a space where they feel motivated, right? Mm -hmm. And it doesn't necessarily mean that um, as teachers, we have to put on this big like dog and pony show all the time. I yeah, think it's, yeah, that's important. It's, yeah. It's just the way that we, we create the space for learning, right? Like yeah. we create a welcoming space. We create a space where students can be heard. Um, we create a space where we're shoulder to shoulder with our students, you know, like, yeah. um, we, we honor their voice. We honor their questions. We, um, we give them opportunities to dig into, to problems that they, they see, as problems, <laughs> not, mm -hmm. not just what we see as problems. You know, it, I think, um, you know, many times we, we look at it as a transactional deal, right? Like yeah. you do this, so you get a grade, but you know, if we, if we really want to motivate students, we have to change the way that we approach the physical and social emotional environment that we provide students. So, yeah, that's yeah. huge. I think, uh, that idea of like, we can't dictate motivation, but we can create spaces is key to all of this. I read the very first thing I ever remember blogging about, like way back in the day before I even like did anything outside of my classroom. So I remember blogging uh, an idea of like, there's no such thing as an unmotivated student. There are only unmotivating contexts. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, and I think it was because I was also in a space that's probably similar to when you were diving into project-based learning of, I had these students who they were put in my class because they hated school. And it was like kind of my job to try to, to get them more engaged with school. And that was my space to kind of sample out some of these ideas of, you know, these kids might be labeled unmotivated, but I would see them with just a shift in how we function in our class. And I would see a different interaction with them. And it is that idea of like, I can't, and I'm not going to, you know, jump on all the tables and do all the things because that's exhausting. But if I can build into my environment, more student autonomy and more relevance and more connection between them and their world and each other and get them to feel competent, like those are the conditions teachers can and should be trying to create within their context so that students do come into class wanting to learn, wanting to move forward, that um, even though it's really freaking hard <laughs> to do, it is absolutely within our wheelhouse and expectation that like that's a part of the gig is trying to create those conditions for our students. Yep. Love it, man. Well, I am so geeked that we had a chance to, to chat about this because I know we briefly talked about it when I was visiting your district, you know, around lunch, but it was like, ooh, there's way more to this conversation than just this like 15 minute check in. So um, I'm grateful once again for you sharing that brilliant brain of yours, um, not only with our audience, but with your district and the world around. We're going to be linking to ways that our audience can find you and PBL works. Um, but I just want to thank you, man. Thanks for what you do and thank you for who you are. All right, happy hour, hodgepodge. Hopefully we have demystified this acronym bingo, especially around PBL, project-based learning. And of course, we have some home fun assignments that you can dive into to take today's content, this week's content, back into your world. Tip number one is what I call Project Decrapify. 
What Drew and I talked about was sometimes the best place to start with making more project-based or more relevant learning for our students is start with that theme, that unit, that strand that is just crappy, the one that you don't like, the one that seems like a bane to your existence. Take that one, spend some time figuring out how do I make a little shift, a little tweak to make this content more relevant to my students? Because we all have our tried and true curriculum. Let's not toss that out by any means, but let's look at the areas that are weak and use that as an intentional way to apply more project-based or more relevant curriculum and instruction. Tip number two is to make little shifts to not the entirety of a curriculum piece, unit, or lesson, but shift either a product, a process, or prompting to get you in the right direction. So what it could look like is take your traditional product, however students demonstrate their authentic learning, and retweak it and figure out what would be a different product that students could create that would be more connected to real world skills. What if I let them have choices in how they demonstrate the product of their learning? You could look at shifting a process of, we know how they're going to demonstrate their learning, I know how I wanna introduce the learning, but the route along the way, what would happen if I gave students more freedom, more choice? What if I brought in artificial intelligence or more group problem solving or gave students more of the initiative of taking autonomy for a few routes that they might go to learn or access concepts and ideas or possibly shift the prompting how you introduce a unit or a lesson. I mentioned in the episode, one of my favorite ways to make the shift towards more project-based or more relevance is to identify the essential question that we're trying to ask or answer and simply posing that question, using that as a STEM or opportunity for students to start putting in their own say, having a little bit more relevance, more connection, more open-endedness. We also mentioned you don't have to completely go into chaotic mode, you can still provide structure, but what would it look like to tweak just little pieces, the product, the process, or the prompting? And then our third tip is to scratch trying it from scratch. You do not have to create project-based learning on your own from scratch. One of the best resources out there is PBL Works. We're going to be linking into the show notes. We're also going to be linking Drew's information because he works for PBL Works in helping schools, educators implement more relevant instruction. So the World Wide Web is a beautiful place to access some of these things. If you're looking at a craptastic unit and you want to make some shifts or you're looking at the process product or prompting and you want to make some shifts, don't try to build it from scratch. Use what's already out there. Give yourself that permission and that balance. I'm hoping that this episode was relevant to you as we dive into a more relevance for our students and our world. Please give us a follow. Follow me at Chase Milky on Instagram or Twitter. Like, subscribe, leave those reviews because that's how we continue spreading the good word in the work that we do. With that... I'm going to set down the poster board. I'm going to grab my drink and I'm going to give you one final cheers. You happy hour hodgepodge. We'll see you next week with a whole new shift into how we're approaching this podcast. Cheers, y'all. Special thanks again to our sponsor, TYS Speakers. If you want to inspire and motivate your staff or students to positive action, then head over to TYSSpeakers.com to browse a list of carefully vetted speakers and professional development leaders whose messages are engaging, evidence-based, and life-changing. Read testimonials, watch demo videos, and find a speaker that can help take your school or organization to the next level. TYSSpeakers.com.